We've been working through this um, new series called Hustle and Hush, where we are looking at our power versus the power of the Spirit and what we can accomplish in the hustle of life, what we can accomplish as we try to do things by ourselves, and what we can accomplish as we let the Spirit take the lead, as we let the Spirit move through, as we allow the sails of our sailboats to open and that boat is pushed further out to sea. And so I want to begin this morning on um, this week by reading through our verses. And we just have five of them this week um, in chapter 8 of Romans. We have verses 26 through 30. And I'm going to read those, and then we're going to kind of uh, walk through what that might look like for us. So Paul writes this in the letter to the Romans. He says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that his Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, there's a lot of truth in what Paul is speaking about here. There's a lot of ways to break this down. While I was doing the word study this week, um, there was a couple of really large Greek words. In fact, just in verse 26 alone, there's a 17-letter Greek word, a 15-letter Greek word, and a 13-letter Greek word. Paul is really laying it on thick here. This is the highlight of his part of the chapter 8. And next week, we're going to discuss 31 through 39, the end of that, where we just get the, the outpouring of God's love and what that means for us. But Paul's making his final push here into this idea. Um, now, I want to start off a little bit with a confession from last week. Last week, I came here, we, we delivered the word, we had the prayers, we had everything that we normally do, but I just felt underprepared. I felt a little underwhelmed with where I had been in the sermon. And I don't doubt that there were some things, some truth in it, there were some places that God was working, the Spirit was moving in that message, but I got to tell you, I was really underprepared. There were things that happened through the week. There were, there were things that I got distracted with, things that I thought that I should work on differently. It could have been arrogance as well that I felt like, oh, I've got this down. I, I know this, the material really well. I don't need to study anymore. And I came up here and I completely blanked out. And I said some things and I, I knew some other things and I tried to work through those things. But in reality, church, what I'm trying to tell you is that I failed to live up to my own standard and the standard that God has put on my life to say, you know what, when you prepare, you're not just preparing words and you're not just preparing the mind, but you're preparing the heart as well. And the one thing that was missing in my preparation was really my prayer with God, my life with God, my time before the message. See, I had it up here in my brain, but I didn't have it here in my heart. 
The spirit had not been welcomed into that. And so as a result, I struggled. I didn't quite know what to say. The, the phrases didn't flow the way I wanted them to. My notes were all a, a mumble-jumble mix up here. And so I failed to deliver the one thing that I believe Christ and God and the Spirit have motivated me to do, which is to bring the word to you. But not just that, but to be able to prepare my heart in a way that prepares your heart's equal function. So I was, I was brought to a humble place through that. Last week's sermon may have touched some people. It may have worked at a level. It may have convinced someone of something. Someone might have gotten a great piece of truth from that. But that was not because of me. That was not because of who I am. It might be something else that's keeping me from ministry in a week. It might be something else that's keeping me from a rich and robust prayer life. Where God has come alongside and said, I want you to do this. I need you to do this. If you don't do this, someone else is going to do it. Someone else I will raise up and they will do it instead of you. And so the function of that, the efficiency of that, the work that I put in each week, failed to live up to what we can all express. Now, Paul is writing and saying that this sort of feeling manifests itself in all of our lives. It's made known in all of our lives. Everything that we go through on a daily basis is something getting in the way of God. Something getting in the way of preparing our hearts for a deeper more longing relationship with Christ. And I feel it and, and you feel it. Last week we read that the groanings of creation and the groanings of ourselves reach out to a level that all of creation groans and even ourselves groan through the sufferings that we suffer each and every day. Every time we turn on the news, we suffer. And, and we suffer when we, we have heartache in our lives or we go through the valleys of life. Not everything is on the mountaintop. But the great thing is that we brought from that last week was that these sufferings of creation and of ourselves are not those individual things each week. Oh, I was late for work, I got stuck in traffic, or this person was mean to me, or was rude to me, or they didn't say the things that I wanted them to say. Those aren't the groanings of creation. Those aren't our groanings. Those aren't our sufferings. The sufferings of the world and the sufferings of us believers are when we turn on the news and we see a world that struggles, a world that wants to try and fix it itself. People, our neighbors, people in our family, people in our communities that are failing to live up to what God intended for their lives. The goodness, the love, the patience, the joy, the unending joy of knowing God as he moves through communities, as he moves through our lives. We're not living up to our intentions. We're not living up to the standards that God placed on us. Paul says it another way, for we do not know how we should pray. 
And he confesses this all the time. He confessed this earlier in his letters as well. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. He always struggled with this concept, that there were things in front of him that he wanted to do. There were people that he wanted to talk to, things that he wanted to say to people. There were great, grand gestures that God had sent him out on this mission And he failed continuously to live up to those standards because he always did the things that he didn't want to do. And I got stuck in that trap last week, focusing on the wrong things in preparing a message or focusing on things that don't even belong in the church. And we get in that same trap where we say, God, I know that this is important. I know that I should give you more than just a cursory prayer or, or time with you, God. And I want things to be so much deeper, but I don't spend the time that I need to spend in that. I don't do the things that I want to do, and I, I don't do the things that I want to do. And it just is a big cycle week to week. And then we come back here and we're like, yes, I can do this, God. I know I can do this. We can restart the whole thing, and it's a new week. And yet we continually feel that groaning, that suffering, that longing for something bigger and better that is in our lives. As we look at our families and say, why are things such a mess here? And we we look at the world, we look at the nation, we look at our communities and we think things could be so much better if just my neighbors would understand and see God the way I see God, the way I understand God, the way that I look at God, the way that I know God looks at me, the way that I know God knows me so personally and intimately. But the problem for us is that our prayers are so us-based. All our prayers are based on our thoughts and our experiences through the week. You know, pray for this Thing or pray for that thing, or I have a prayer request, or I'm, uh, uh, a sickness is going through, or a job opportunity, or, or pray for this member of my family. Don't get me wrong, those are great prayers, but they are so us-based. They are the things we want to pray for. And even when we think, okay, well, I'm not going to be so selfish this week. I'm going to start praying for other people in the community. I'm going to start looking for other opportunities for prayer. Those are just more us's. We're just adding to the collection of humanity-based prayers. And prayer is a conversation with God. It's actually the root word of prayer means an exchange. We exchange our thoughts for God's thoughts. Now, when was the last time in your prayer life that you exchanged your thoughts for God's thoughts? Because I know when I pray, we get into this trap all the time. I know that when I pray, I want to exchange God's thoughts for my thoughts. See, I want to reverse the process of prayer and say, God, here are the things that are concerning to me. Here are the things that I'm dealing with. I know you've got your own things, but here's what I'm dealing with. And I'd like you to think about those things. See, we don't want God's thoughts. We don't want prayer to exchange our thoughts. We want our thoughts to be given over to God. Because 
our prayers are so us-based. And in our lives, prayer's greatest challenges and hindrances are our indecision and our ignorance. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray for it. We don't know what we should pray for. We don't know what we should pray for next. We don't know the next calamity that shows up. We don't know the next drama that shows up. A month ago, my wife found a spot here on her chest. And we thought nothing of it at the time. Let's just go to the doctor. Let's see what it is. Turns out it's a carcinoma. So she's diagnosed with skin cancer. How do we pray for something like that if we don't even know what it was? How do we pray for something like that that just shows up out of the blue? It's so us-based, and we're so enraptured by our ignorance. We're so blissfully unaware of all of those challenges and all of those things that come up in the next years or the next days or the next moments of our lives. There's no way that we can pray for every little thing that happens. Maybe I should just start praying for my own cancer. Maybe it's inevitable that I get cancer someday, so I should just start praying now, God, heal me of this cancer. Heal my family of all of the things that are ever going to happen to them. Oh man, if that could work. If that was the usefulness and effectiveness of prayer, man, my job would be so easy, wouldn't it? People wouldn't need God anymore. We would just say a magic prayer and everything would be lifted. Everything could just go on the way we would want it to go. Because we said a little thing and God came in and everyone was healed. But creation groans. Creation continues to suffer and we continue to suffer and groan right along with it. Because that's not the way it works. This limitation, it really tempts us into prayerlessness, that we feel so overwhelmed, that we feel so out of our league when it comes to, well, what should I do next? How should I help? What can I do? I feel so overwhelmed by this thing of prayer, by the needs, the groaning of creation. What should I do to do that? Again, we're just placing ourselves in the picture. And so often that leads us to be tempted not even to pray. We said, well, I just, it, it doesn't feel like it's going to work. It doesn't feel like I can really express what I need to express. Why prepare a message? It's not going to do what I want it to do. Why should I even sing worship songs? They don't do the things I want them to do. Why should I even open up the Bible? It doesn't do what I want it to do. And so we're led once again in that indecisiveness and that ignorance of why should I do this? And the standard answer is, well, because God told us to do it. But we're never satisfied with that, are we? We're never satisfied with this idea. Our indecision, our being overwhelmed, our arrogance, our ignorance, these all lead to a lack of prayer at a time when we need more prayer. A time when our lives are falling apart, 
The world around us is falling apart. Our neighbors are struggling. Our families are struggling. And yet we can't find the time, the energy, the efficiency to go to God and say, God, I need to be deeper in love with you. I need to understand your heart more. I don't want my thoughts anymore. Give me your things. Give me what you're saying to do. Give me what we need to accomplish here in your name and your glory. Oh, we can't do that. We don't find the time to do that. But Paul says there is something going on under the surface. That we can be great speakers. We can have this elegant speech. We can write it all out in cursive. We can have uh, vows and these and therefores and the why nots. We can put it all together. We can type it up. We can put it on a pillow. Anything we want to do. <laughs> and our prayers no matter how good we think they are, no matter how effective we think they are, no matter how uh, uh, majestic, no matter how spiritual we feel in that moment, God says they are not enough. They are not enough. Because as Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray. That's fact there. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to worship properly. Do we think that this is what worship is going to look like in heaven? No. It's great worship. But it's only our model of what we think worship should be like. Do we think that these are going to be the prayers that we say in heaven? No. But it's our model of what prayer will look like. And so every time we do that, every time we engage with God, every time we try that, we come up short. Because we're just not very good at it. We're just not good at it. And we never will be. We can practice and practice and practice and we can pray, God, help me pray. Help me read the Bible better. Help me worship better. Help me be in your word and with you and dwell in you every day. And we just won't be very good at it. Because that's not what it's about. It's about understanding that this is not what we're supposed to be doing. The Spirit dwells in us and the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. That the fact that the Spirit lives in us, the primary ministry of the Spirit is to help in human weakness, to help in ways where we continually fall short, in ways that we cannot even predict what's going to happen next. And the Spirit says, you want to pray? That's great. I want you to pray. I want you to move your lips and your heart. And I want you to stand closer to God. And I want you to open yourself up to these new possibilities. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to help you pray. Because you're going to get it all wrong and you're going to say the wrong things. And you're going to think basically about yourself. But the Spirit is inside of us, echoing the sufferings, the groanings of creation and humanity. 
And our groanings on that point, on that way, on that thought, our groanings, creation's groanings, are nothing more than our response to the Spirit dwelling in us. <laughs> we look at the world and how does that affect me? How does the fact that my neighbors are struggling or my community is struggling or, or my brothers and sisters or my uncles and aunts or my grandchildren are struggling, how does that affect my life? I'm good with God. I'm good with Christ. I'm going to heaven. They've made their decision and there's nothing that I can do that will change that. Left to ourselves, that's the way we're going to think. We cannot groan, we cannot suffer, we cannot look at the world and think that something is wrong without the Spirit there doing that first. And the Spirit looks at the world and says, isn't that awful? And you think, who said that? Who made me think that? Wait a second, I don't want to reach out to my neighbor. Why would I reach out to my neighbor? Oh, because the Spirit dwells in me and groans through that process. The Spirit suffers in that. He possesses us. We don't possess Him. He anticipates our needs. He anticipates our weaknesses and grabs a hold of us in all of those things. The, the Greek word there for help literally translates into grab by the side. So the Spirit comes alongside of us and grabs us and says, I need you to do this. I need you to walk this way. I need you to think in a new way. Because what you're doing on your own is not working. There's two halves, the hustle and the hush. And here I am. I'm here to help you. And the things that you can't do by yourself, your weakness, your groaning, your suffering. Let me do it for you. The other thing that groanings do is they mark that the Spirit is present in our lives. How do I know? I don't hear a voice. How do I know? Well, you can't do that by yourself. You can't suffer. You can't groan about what is in the world without the Spirit. And so the fact that you do groan, the fact that you look out and see need and suffering in the world and in your families and in your neighborhoods, the fact that you see that means that the Spirit is there dwelling in you. Now, what are you going to do in response to that? How are you going to live now knowing that He's there? But it marks that the Spirit is not just present, but affected right alongside of creation and believers. That the Spirit groans is good news for us. It's good news for us because He suffers along with us. God does not take a survey at impersonal levels or at huge distances. He's not at arm's length in our lives, but living in our hearts. In our lives dwelling among us, he takes up human sentiments too deep for words. The things that we don't even know we should pray about, he groans to God about those things. You know, a great theme of the Old Testament is that God knows every heart intimately. That God is watching and faithful to us 
all. God knows the mind of the Spirit naturally. So anytime that the Spirit is in us, anytime that the Spirit dwells, that we have these groanings for creation, God knows those because they're intimately connected. They're unified. They are one. And so God knows the Spirit. God knows what the Spirit is thinking. The Spirit searches us and knows our pleas and knows our cries. And so the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It can't be any different because the Spirit knows us and the Spirit knows God. The two of them can come together and say, how can I intercede? How can I stand in the gap between what they want and what God wants? How can I move in the communities? How can I move in families? How can I move in an individual life to affect change according to the good will and good purpose of God. Believers' prayers are perfected. They're brought into conformity with God's will. And in fact, one of the great things is that when believers hurt, the Spirit feels it. We can't say these Abba Fathers without first realizing that it's the Spirit saying that, calling out to God, rising up in us, Our prayers are finite, they're ignorant, they're imperfect. And through all of that, the Spirit amplifies them and purifies them and intensifies them. And then we can pray through what we need. Not what we think we need. Not what we think we want. But what God actually is compelling us to do and say and to think and to feel. The Spirit intercedes for us. And it's trust in Christ that makes love for Him and God possible. It's the Spirit doing that work first. We cannot love God without that Spirit working in us first. Because here's the thing about that. Without the Spirit living in us, without the Spirit interceding to God in the first place, we're still sinners. We can't approach God. The Spirit is in that place, in that gap. Intercede to stand in between something. And so the Spirit comes in and possesses us, grabs a hold of us. And apart from that intercession of the Spirit, we are sinners. And so Paul promises us that we who know God, those who love God, those who have the Spirit dwelling in them, those who have the groaning of the Spirit lifting them and moving them and motivating them and compelling them to go to their families and their communities and their neighbors, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. This is one of the most famous verses from Romans, maybe even the whole of the New Testament besides John 3.16. Because we want to take it out of context and we want to say to ourselves, well, you know what? Something bad happened. My wife has skin cancer. But the good news is, for all who believe in God, everything is going to be good. All things will be good. And so in that goodness, we think that that's a life worth living. 
We think that's a God who fixes everything and makes life nice and tidy and neat, and there won't be any problems. There won't be any cancer anymore because everything works out for good for God and those who love him. But you know, right? You know what I'm going to say is that that's wrong. Because just like our prayers are us-led, just like we have too much of ourselves in our prayers, we think too much of ourselves when we read this passage. God can heal cancer. He does heal cancer. But not always. And so what does that mean? Is that someone prayed harder or better or differently than another person, and so their cancer was healed and ours wasn't? Or we pray every morning that everyone has a safe drive to work and then we still drive by accidents on the way to work. Or what I like to think about is the two teams on the field playing football. They're both praying. You got prayers on both teams, so who's going to win? The team that prays harder, right? Right? doesn't work that way because this isn't the good that we want in our lives. A nice, tidy life is what we think we want. But the good that Paul is speaking about, the good that he says all things work together for good, the good is that God becomes known. That's it. Well, that feels kind of like I've been cheated out of something. It feels like the promises that were made to me about a good life, about a God who knows me, that's not much. Why would I want God to know me? So don't worry about sufferings. Don't worry about groanings. Don't worry about those things that the Spirit is pushing you toward because in those moments, all things will work together for good for those who believe. For those who put their trust in God, you will know God through those groanings. You will know God through those sufferings. You will be seen and you will be known. The good is beholding the Redeemer and redemption. The good is the very love of God. All things work together for good. All things work together because now we know the good of God's love. We know that in everything there is a sharp contrast between the goodness of God and our skill at subverting the whole of God's goodness. We know there is a sharp contrast between God's grace and our stubbornness. We know there is a difference between God and His might and His knowledge and His wisdom and our ignorance and stupidity. And every single time, We try and subvert that. We try and overcome that. We try and get over that part. And God says, in spite of that, don't worry. I'm working all things out so that you will know me through this. No matter how many mistakes you make, no matter how many people you don't reach out to, no matter how many prayers you pray that are about the wrong things, God says, don't worry about it. I'm going to reveal myself through this anyway. I know you keep making mistakes. I know that this isn't the way that you wanted it to go. I know that it looks bad now, but trust me. 
You will see me work through this. You will know my love. God chooses to see beyond a here and there, a this side or that, but rather holy and altogether beyond the tension, bringing those things, the badness of us and the goodness of God together in the spirit. And saying, you know what, we can overcome these things. We can grow. We can build something together, you and I. And it's not just you and I, but it's us. The revelation that the living God knows us. He knows us as prisoners. He knows us as sinners. He sees us as people that need to be free. And we're condemned and we're dead. And yet, he calls us to be his own. Now, how can we live as people knowing that? How can we live as people who understand that the Spirit is there and we trust that everything that we do, that we move through, that our ministries to people around us will be effective because the Spirit is going to guide that? Because God sees us and knows us. He knows us to be His own. And all that condemnation, all that death, all that prisoner talk, all of that sinner stuff, that's dead now. The Spirit has come into us and we have responded in some way. Are we humbling ourselves? Or are we refusing to understand that? 